Welcome to VSI, Variation Selection Inheritance, podcast production of the National Science Foundation's Beacon Center for the Study of Evolution in Action. I'm Randall Hayes. So I'm here on a Friday night, which shows you how much fun my life is, with two of my favorite people in the world, my sister's kids. I'll let them introduce themselves. Um, my name is Andrea Gonzalez, and I'm a UK student. In what? In biology. My name is Matthew Gonzalez, and I'm going to be attending the Gatton Academy at Western Kentucky University this year. How old are you, Matt? Uh, I'm 16 right now. So this means you are a science geek, then? Pretty much, yeah. Alright, so podcast about evolution, you can guess what the questions are going to be about, right? Not content, and not even because you live in Kentucky, and you have friends, and you go to church. So, you know, to be perfectly honest, I don't really care what you think in your heart of hearts. My curiosity is more just about what your exposure, what your official exposure to this topic has been, right? Like, when I went to high school, it never came up at all. So I'm curious as to whether 25 years has made any changes to the high school curriculum in the state of Kentucky. Do you guys talk about evolution at all? Um, to a limited extent. Uh, they always say that it's they make very clear that it is a theory, and um, they mention basically Darwinian adaptation, and that's the extent that they cover in evolution as far as uh, high school biology class. Yeah, pretty much from single cell organisms up to bacteria, and then they kind of want to cut the line there. That way uh, evolution doesn't get too high and mighty. In our mind. So you so you've talked with teachers then about things like antibiotic resistance. Yeah, um, to a degree, uh, we've talked about it in health science class before about uh, MRSA and VRSA uh, becoming superbugs in uh, medical uh, places, but not to the extent that this bacteria is growing and adapt adapting just because it needs to live or so that connect changing. so the connection's not there they it's treated sort of as a separate issue yeah give me an example of a discussion i mean and is it a discussion or is it just the teacher lecturing and you guys taking notes well with my biology teacher it was lecture and detailed notes and that was the end of the discussion. There was no room for any argument or any sort of thing like that with my high school biology teacher. With college biology teachers, much different. Really? So did you guys do other controversial topics like abortion or stem cells or anything no, like that? not at all. We did not even, no, it was not even mentioned. At really? least not in that class. In biology, we had a, a very old school kind of teacher. Her name is Ms. Cash. Oh, and so... 
And so she... No discussion. No discussion. She just cuts it off where she wants to, and then you're left to stew, I guess. How does that work? Well, uh, speaking from also being in Miss Cash's class, like, three years later, I think. But, um... We were allowed to pick our own topics, and they could be, like, when we were writing papers, and they could be as controversial as we made them. Uh, I think adoption was one just because it was easy, you know. All the research that was out, it's not difficult to pick a side and just do the copy-paste way to write a paper. But uh, discussion-wise, there wasn't really much, you know. If it was, we... uh, would discuss it as in she would tell us what her thoughts on it were and that was pretty much it. So no organized debates or anything like that? No. Not at all. Okay. So, you guys are hanging out here. We went to two museums and you came to work one day and you listened to a couple lectures on cancer. Right? Mm-hmm. So, which, I mean, did you think, do you think you picked up more information listening to lectures? Or discussing with you? Or just hanging out and doing stuff? Uh, that's a tough one. If I had to pick one, it was probably just doing stuff talking and lots of random little tidbits that were interesting, but things that I would remember instead of just lectures on uh, triple negative breast cancer and what it was and the research that they were doing with it. Because that's always the science teacher's secret fear, right? Is that they honestly believe, I think, that if they don't tell a completely connected story that if they rely on just random tidbits of interesting crap that no one will ever connect it up. That people won't think about it outside of the class. I don't think that's true at all because I think the things that I remember most are just random bits of trivia that I just pull from places. I don't ever remember a full lecture that my science teacher gave me It's not, I don't know, I guess my brain doesn't work like that. I have to have just little interesting things that spark my memory. Yeah, I guess for me it's almost as like a timeline. I guess I know that certain things are there, but I'll only remember those little tidbits that stick out to me and I place them in order depending on the the conversation or the topic and then move through the timeline in that series. And you guys are actually good students, right? I mean, pretty good grades? Yeah. So, I mean, you're the person, you're really the people who lectures are designed for, right? I mean, most biologists are perfectly happy to flunk everybody, ex- at least at the college level, except for those people who they expect are like them, right? They're really only training their own replacements, but you guys are now telling me that, that even for those people, the lecture doesn't really work? 
I would say if you have a really good teacher, then the lecture thing can work, but you just have to make sure that it's interesting at intermittent points, because if it's not, then no matter who your audience is, they, lo they lose attention. And it's just hard to keep focused in a very structured lecture like that. So, and that, so in a sense, that's the exact opposite of what most people who are doing lectures believe, right? That if they don't give you everything all at once, that you can't connect it on your own. My classes are full of just random interesting crap. I would prefer that. I mean, even the perfect student can't always take perfect notes and, you know, remember everything the uh, the professor always says. It's just not going to happen. So those random tidbits of information are kind of what draws it all together. And that's how people can make come to conclusions that they don't remember or that they can't think of. It's by piecing together that information to come to a conclusion that you might not remember. And then that makes the another mental connection and then you do remember. So what was your favorite thing from the museum yesterday? If you had to pick one thing, just describe it as vividly as you can. Probably my favorite part was seeing the uh, replication of the giant ground sloth. Because uh, we had went to the other museum, which was... The Gray Fossil Site in Tennessee. Yes. But uh, we saw a few... Uh, skeletons and uh, we had been talking previously just about how tall they would get and I guess my mind hadn't made the mental connection that you know they were like 12 feet tall or something and huge you know behemoths in comparison to the sloths that you think of today and so at this uh, museum they had a huge almost bear size up on its hind legs, and uh, Randall and his family, we laughed and joked about it a little, but it was just mind-boggling to me to see that huge colossus. So this thing stood, what, like 12 feet tall? It was probably 6 feet wide. Yeah. It looked huge. a bit like Bigfoot. <laughs> kind of like a Bigfoot with uh, predator claws. Claws. Uh, claws that were about a foot long, probably eight inches in diameter. Yeah. I mean, would have ripped a person oh, stem to stern. Easily. But little bitty eyes. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that. It was... And, um, and it was built... Uh, so the, the museum there has a big collection of taxidermy animals. Right? Stuffed animals that are, you know, have their natural fur still on them and their natural teeth and this thing was made to look like one of those mm -hmm. right so it was big and hairy it wasn't just a skeleton and it wasn't like painted or anything the way a lot of the dinosaur models tend to yeah. be it was actually covered with hair so it was pretty realistic looking I would not want to be you know night at the museum would not be cool with that thing or anything. Oh, no it had a big long tongue too. oh yeah it did Kind of curled up. Yeah, it was curled up. It was really cool looking. 
So, and I don't know, to me, that image says a lot more than, you know, 30 pages in a book or something. And so, we, that's the kind of stuff that we've been doing other than playing cards. <laughs> yeah. That's all the time we've got for this week, mostly because I want to go to bed and I have to drive these two home tomorrow morning. VSI is produced by me, Randall Hayes, at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University with funding from the National Science Foundation through the Beacon Center for the Study of Evolution and Action. Thanks for listening.